mother tongue, a space for the voices and the stories of mamas, because it takes a village to raise a mama. Today I have a very special guest and I am so delighted to share this interview with you. This was taken from my first Map for a New Motherhood Global Summit, so it's a little dated but the conversation is rich and juicy and certainly no less applicable today. My guest, Akila S. Richards, is passionate about mindful partnerships and conscious parenting. She uses audio and written mediums to amplify the ways that unschooling in particular is serving as healing grounds and liberation work for Black, non-Black, Indigenous, and people of color communities earthwide. Her celebrated unschooling podcast, Fair of the Free Child, and the numerous workshops and gatherings she has been a part of have garnered the attention of Forbes Magazine, The New York Times, Good Morning America, and most importantly, BIPOC families interested in living in more healthy, consent-based, intergenerational relationships. Her recent experiences within the intersection of privilege, parenting, and power are detailed in her latest book, Raising Free People, Unschooling as Liberation and Healing Work, which is available through PM Press. In this conversation, we dive into unschooling as a form of decolonizing our parenting and rehumanizing ourselves and all of our relationships. I love this conversation so much because I see so many parallels between my work with Motherfly, which is very much about decolonizing our mothering and Akila's work. In our interview, Akila says, to colonize is to segment, to power over, to remove consent, to remove the sense of autonomy and collective liberation and collective rights. Let's dive in. Akila, I'm so excited to have you with us today. It's truly an honor and thank you for being here. Oh, you're muted. <laughs> you're so welcome. I appreciate the invitation. I'm close to a window too, so I'm going to mute when I'm not talking. Just okay. In case. But okay. thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. So I'd love to talk, be, begin to talk about how coming into motherhood and your experience with mothering has brought you to your work in the world. Sure, sure. Um, so I, I wasn't a person who was like really excited about becoming a mother or I know one of the questions like, when did you first know you were going to have no idea? I didn't have any of those connections um, to motherhood or mothering. Um, but I had a lot of connections to nurturing and to sisterhood um, and womanhood, you know, so a lot of the, the similar energies. And when I first became a mother in 2004, it was on the heels of medical situation after medical situation that said unequivocally that I would not be able to have children. Mm. I have several issues that I'm, I'm actually doing surgery in about a week for one of those issues. And 
most of the medical experts were saying, yeah, it's not, that's not going to happen. I have two daughters. They're 16 and 14. <laughs> and um, they really ushered in for me a sense of reconnecting and rehumanizing really my relationships with myself, with nature, with other people, because I realized so much over time what the opposite of that looked like and how much I embodied that as a parent. So for me, my motherhood really brought me into relationship with oppression and with uh, the violation of human rights for whatever reasons, because it happened through me as a mother. There were things that I put on my children because it's the best thing for them. They might not know or, you know, all these things that seem perfectly fine. But as I really began to be in a different type of relationship with their questions and, and my own questions and learning and how learning actually happens naturally, then it really just broke me open in ways that I continue to be grateful for. Um, and my daughters really lead that for me. I call them my life guides because they've really guided me um, into the type of space and work that I do now as an unschooling organizer, for sure. Mm, wow. So tell, tell us a little bit more about what unschooling is and, um, and yeah, how you bring that forth to the communities that you support with it. Yeah. So my, and I do have an actual definition for unschooling. I'll, I'll send that to you too. It's also in my book. Um, but I really look at unschooling as this child-centered thing that doesn't mean that other people aren't relevant and other things aren't relevant, but that the, I guess the opportunity to be in relationship with a being at that stage in their journey is one to value and honor, not one to lord over and look at this blank slate idea. So unschooling is really to first notice and then question and then divest from schoolishness, which are all the ways that we think we need to show up and how other people then need to show up and how we don't have the right to our, our boundaries and our say. So we push and we inch and we feel bad and we feel shame and we bully. All these things that happen as a result of schoolish environments, including classrooms, but beyond that, it happens in church. It happens at your job. It happens with your daddy, your mama, like right at home before you even get to school. Um, but it is very much perpetuated inside of schools. And so I call it schoolishness. And so I began to really recognize what was happening in those spaces through my decision to withdraw them from school. And we did that. And I talk about it in great detail in the book because the girls were pushing back against it. They were doing great academically because that mattered in freaking kindergarten. Um, right. you know, <laughs> or just all of elementary school period. Like they, you know, so they did, Academically, they did all the things and beyond, but then emotionally, it was the opposite. And Chris and I started to notice the way that their personalities were changing. And also they outright asserted the ways that school and the structure of that and the culture of that was really violent for them. And, mm -hmm. you know, Chris and I spent a couple of years kind of doing the, okay, love, mm -hmm, yes, you know, you're, you're gonna, it's gonna make you stronger. No right. one really loves it. Wait till, you know, all the things. And then eventually over time, and really a lot with their pushback, we started to recognize that it didn't even matter if we agreed with their decision or that we understood it. What mattered is that 
we were trustworthy to them and that they could trust that they were telling us what wasn't okay for them and that we would at least consider that as much as what we knew we just knew was right for them so that unraveling eventually that unraveling led to us withdrawing them from school then we began to do school at home quite literally the same thing just there and then it became a little nicer version of it and then you know ta-da, until we got to witness all the many ways that it was Chris and me and really so many of us as adults who did have a limited perspective on how learning happened because the more we backed away the more they were learning not reciting not performing but learning and the more open they were being the more space they seemed willing to take up so that felt like mm, I don't know there's a lot of scary stuff, but this also looks real good. It feels good. They talking to us with their whole self and not the, you know, studenthood version. Right. So that's how we got into it. And really that's what it is for us to like allow people to be themselves in their journey at whatever stage they're in and to support learning and to support partnership, but not see ourselves as, you know, the light in the way of our children. Right. Yeah. So it's such a beautiful outlook and philosophy and and embodiment practice. And the fact that your daughters felt safe enough to, to share with you, like, Hey, this is not working. Um, to me speaks to some level of, of deep trust that they had with you already. And then in, in trusting them and, and I know it was a process and maybe at first, you know, they had to say it for a while, but, um, what do you think it was in you that really allowed you to, to hear them and to follow their lead? It's such an important question. Thank you for asking it because it gives me the opportunity to, to make clear that I don't think it's because I was trustworthy. I think Mm -hmm. it's because like many of us, when, when you are in pain enough, you will say something oftentimes, right? You will do something. I, I think it's innate for us to want to be well and safe. And yeah. so they said it for two and a half years before we actually withdrew them from school. So I think that it was just their knowledge, you know, as newer people, uh-huh. <laughs> um, right? That, they, that it was a right that they had to be happy and to, you know, as Marley, my oldest would talk all the time about not having the time to think her thoughts. Uh She was very clear that that was something that she was entitled to. And I was the one and Chris was the one and all of the adults were the ones that were just not clear. So what happened is that we began to trust them, which in turn eventually made us trustworthy. You get that? Yeah, Yeah. 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 Yes, I um, I've been listening to the the course. I think from from schoolish, schoolish to self directed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one of the things that I really love is this idea of you know each person in the family is the owner of their own time, and the part also there. I think that's like the last rule or, or belief about self care. Everybody's entitled to that, and and those both of those things. I feel like are are part of the motherfly archetype that I'm wanting to bring forth. I see actually a lot of parallels between the unschooling and motherfly in the sense that my understanding of unschooling is a lot about the decolonizing of our parenting. And with motherfly, I feel like it's it's also a decolonization of motherhood and the patriarchal influence on mothering that 
that really kind of puts us in this mode of, you know, being the super mom or being the martyr. And so I'm, I would love to hear you speak a little bit about, you know, that connection between unschooling and, and decoloni decolonizing parenthood. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. It's so, so powerful. And I'm really grateful to hear, really grateful to hear um, that synergy for you, that alignment with that, because I think for me, that's one of the most powerful elements of unschooling, because when you when you, whether you're in school or not, right? Like unschooling and schoolishness, you are affected by both of them. Whether somebody calls themselves an unschooler or not, especially at the time that we're in now, we're recording this right in the middle of the end, the beginning, I don't know, some part of this pandemic, right? right, right. Um, and so many of us are de-schooling. That's another term. My friend Lane Santa Cruz says her, a lot of her people use those terms synonymously. And I've really adopted that because they really go together for me. Like de-schooling is what happens when you, when you make the decision to have a different relationship with your child. It's just from the space of how they learn. You, you open this portal because that's what unschooling really is. If there was like one word, it's a portal. It's mm -hmm. not about class or no class. It's not about school or not school. It's a portal. And what it is, is a portal for the type of breaking open, the type of unraveling, as I call it in my book, that then allows you to be a better witness, a better listener of your own selves, of the things that were your own school wounds, your own intuition, your own sense of what boundaries might mean for you, even if you're not sure. And so it's, it allows for a type of slowing down that then gives you the space to recognize elements of how you are showing up and what you need, how you are showing up and what you need, just those two things. Mm -hmm. Because how you are showing up is very much influenced by what you need. And when you are not getting what you need, just like our body does, just like nature does, it's gonna to try to pull it from other places. And as people who are in this colonized, hierarchical, Western, male, white body supremacist, type of way that affects all of us, the decolonization work, that big word is really just about allowing yourself to unravel so that you can rehumanize. You can rehumanize yourself. You can rehumanize your relationships. And that's really what decolonizing is because to colonize is to segment, it's to power over, it's to remove consent. It is to remove the sense of autonomy and collective liberation or even collective rights. It's the removal of all of those things. So to rehumanize is the opposite of that, to be in relationship, first of all, with all elements of self, to recognize and honor the part of you as a woman or to, who wants to feel like a martyr and to understand with compassion why you feel like that instead of guilt or shame, or to hold it with guilt or shame, because we are all dynamic enough actually to hold all those pieces. So for me, the decoloniz decolonization is both individual, right? And it's communal, because you start to put down the pieces that you needed to hold. You start to back up a little bit from the people over whom you have power, which for many adults is children. And if you are not a white bodied adult, you have even less power. So maybe children are the only people over whom you have power. Mm -hmm. So you got to get that right. Right. Yeah. Uh, so there are all these things that come up that you now get to be with when you 
recognize that you are decolonizing slash de-schooling, and then you can now rehumanize your relationships away from that colonial, that settler colonial perspective that we're all steeped in and over into one that is informed by the consent of the children around you, you know, your subtle body and all these other things that are really big part of our relationship practices that are now severed, segmented, you know, othered right. because of colonization. Yeah. 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 And it's, you know, that the, what you speak about in terms of relationship is really, you know, that, that relationship with self, that relationship with others. I think it's such a powerful practice when we begin that work of decolonizing those relationships. And particularly, I think for moms, you know, the guilt and the shame that is so epidemic for us because we have all these different expectations that have been placed upon us and that we placed upon ourselves, that it's just, it's, it becomes totally overwhelming to just, just to exist as a mom. And, and particularly now with the pandemic, how has the pandemic uh, affected your mothering and your work? Um, as far as my work, I, I'm certainly busier than I've ever been. That's why I was even like, oh my gosh, I only have this much time. <laughs> um, I, I'm super, super busy. Um, not necessarily doing new things, but it seems like there's a lot more space for the things that many of us as unschoolers, we've been grappling with and feeling through many more people in the world are grappling with that and feeling through that, which feels good. You know, if I yeah. dare say, because I, I know the power of this type of unraveling. I know the power of going from feeling like, you know, you know, right? I call that studenthood. I have the answers, me, 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 to move from that to, I don't know. Like, and I don't mean, I don't know a little bit. I mean, I don't know. So the pandemic is like the big, I don't know what is normal. When are we going to get back to it? What's going to happen to this, that, da, da, da. that's happening. And I think that's, um, obviously there are elements of that, that are really horrible. Um, and then there are also opportunities in that for us to, to be with not knowing, because yeah. that's also how we rehumanize. So what has changed, one of the things that has changed for me in the pandemic is to be able to have conversations less from the space of people either looking at me or themselves or information as the guru and the solution, and more so from a space of witnessing and disruption um, and really curiosity and seeking and a little bit of intuitive knowing, not the bookish knowing, so lots of that has happened um, in, in the world of unschooling and self-directed education and belonging, um, yeah. which are really the spaces that I play in the most. And as far as in my home and in my mothering, it's slowed down there too, which is really good. We were nomadic prior to um, COVID. So we were living in different cities across different countries for like you know, three to six months at a time. And we've now been um, here on Muscogee Creek land, so-called Atlanta, Georgia, you know, for a hot minute. Um, yeah. So that's been interesting too, to just be like physically rooted in a space. It feels good for the first time actually. So that's really different. <laughs> yeah. And how were you traveling for years? Yeah. Since yeah. 2012. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And I imagine right now there's so many people that are 
you know, opening up to the idea of unschooling or even just hearing about it for the first time. So I can understand that you, why you've gotten so busy. I know for me, um, I, I made a big move in September from Miami to Tennessee, <laughs> which is, you know, a huge culture shock in so many ways. And before I moved, I was listening, I was going through your course and I just felt like it was this great opportunity for a fresh start and moving into that observation zone. Yes. Uh, yeah. That is a big culture shock too. I, I went to high school close to Miami. Well, in Miramar, I don't know if you know okay. that. Yeah. 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 So I went to Miramar. Um, and so, yeah. And then I have family in Tennessee and I, oh, wow. yeah, so I go to, I've been to Tennessee many times and I grew up in South Florida when we moved from Jamaica. So yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it really is yeah. a big shift and, and to do it in the middle of a pandemic as well. But it's been, you know, I spent really the first, uh, the whole fall just, I, I think your, your course really allowed me to just be comfortable with, I'm just going to sit back and observe my kids for a while and see, Good. you know, what they want to do. And yeah, I'm just, I would love to hear you speak a little bit about that, um, that allowing and, and the observation. Yeah. That mood. Absolutely. And I'm so glad that you were um, able to do that. And thank you for mentioning that, that, you know, one of those invitations came from the course, because that's exactly what I wanted to do with that. That is my COVID response course, in a sense, because mm -hmm. I really... I was so frustrated with um, the feedback I was getting from a lot of young people and a lot of adults about the type of force and fear and, you know, the crisis schooling type thing. And so that particularly that thing around observation is really an invitation to settle into what is already known. Again, schoolishness really perpetuates this not enoughness. You can't possibly know enough so the person look like you know a little bit more at least than the other person because that's how you get a better job and that's how you get respect and that's how you feel validated and that's how your mom's like good job Karina and that's how the you know all right. these things that happen um so to shift out of that to observe and to witness is such an opportunity to actually learn and it's one of the simplest invitations I can offer because it's it comes with so much. The, when you observe, I, I couldn't tell you, nor do I try to tell people what they could possibly observe. And in my book, there are so many other people who talk about what happened when they observed their children as well. Mm -hmm. I encourage it because it's also for people who are like, well, what would a curriculum look like at home? That's how you can find that out if you're still attached to that, which is okay, because it's a process. If you still feel attached to that, make observation a part of your curriculum. Take a mm -hmm. notebook out about it. I observe my kids without saying anything, directing them, telling anybody to do or not do something for this three hour block. What happened? How did it feel in my body? What happened when I didn't allow myself to speak? What else came up? What did, did it remind me of that I now have a chance to actually feel through because I didn't immediately act upon it or weaponize it like we tend to do with our emotions upon children? So yeah. this is, these are the invitations that you allow yourself when you observe. You will learn so much that your children might not be able to articulate with words or that you might not be able to articulate with words that might be even more potent through observation energy because you can then apply it to how you then interact. Yes. Wow. So powerful. 
I, I would love to talk to you for hours on end, but I know you, you are limited with your time. So I wanted to give you the opportunity before we close to share how people can find you, work with you and yes, yeah, learn more. Yes. Um, and thanks for being so gracious with my limited time. Cause I want to, you know, I want to be in a lot of spaces, but again, that martyrdom thing too, it's like, I'm, I'm so over that. I'm not even yeah. trying to be about that life. Um, raisingfreepeople.com is the site. Everything is there. I also have a podcast called fair of the free child that really focuses on what it means to reclaim our relationships, particularly as black or native indigenous and people of color in parenting, because the layers impact us at a whole nother level. Um, I also, the course from schoolish to self-directed, I'm happy actually to gift a few seats of those, maybe three seats of that course to okay. folks who are in the mother fly tribe. That would yes. be great. Oh, that's <laughs> um, awesome. Yeah, you're so, 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 so welcome. And that um, that course and all the other ones that I offer are on RFP Unschool, RaisingFreePeopleUnschool.com. Okay, great. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you being here with us and just be well, keep keep shining all of your beautiful light in the world. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm just so thankful that I found you when I did. It was at the beginning of the pandemic and- <sighs> Your voice and your message just created a lot of um, safety for me. Yeah. It's so good to know because that is the point. That's what I'm supposed to be doing um, because I know what it feels like to have the opposite of that. When we started unschooling, it was so, we felt so isolated and fearful. And so to hear that is really encouraging. Mm, great. Well, again, thank you so much. And have a beautiful rest of your day. You too. Okay. Be well. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. You know, I was turned on to Akila just after the pandemic hit through a friend in my homeschool co-op in Miami. And there was something about her voice and the information that she was sharing that I just found so soothing in a time of so much uncertainty and anxiety. So if you haven't checked out her podcast yet, I highly recommend it, Fair of the Free Child, and her book as well, Raising Free People. Links for both are in the show notes. Until next time, be well and be good to yourself. The Mother Tongue Podcast is produced by Karina Fitch with sound engineering and music made by Kronos 9.